Hello, everyone, and welcome to Singularity Podcast. Singularity Podcast is a feature of Singularity Weblog, where you can go and listen to it or download it in full. As you may already know, my name is Nicola, aka Socrates, and as always, I will be the man with the questions. Today, I am privileged to have Jason Silva as my guest on the show. You might recognize Venezuela-born Jason from his work hosting shows for Al Gore Emmy-winning current TV network and from his GAPS icon campaign billboards. What you probably don't know, however, is that he's also a documentarian obsessed with the intersection of science, technology, and art, and is currently working on a new film called Turning Into Gods. So let me start by welcoming Jason to our show. Welcome, Jason. It is our privilege to have you here today. Hey, thank you very much. I uh, enjoy the website Singularity uh, podcasts that you do or think are fantastic, so thank you. Thank you, too. I'll jump straight into the interview by asking you to share a little bit with our listeners about your background, um, how you got in, interested in and in, in doing uh, documentaries, and especially how you got interested in the technological singularity as a concept and decided to do a movie about it after that. Mm-hmm. Well, I've always been fascinated by... Uh the way that Kurzweil has distilled and explained the notions of exponential growth and the extrapolations that he makes to show the price performance increases in technology and how they sort of are evolving exponentially. And when he starts sort of painting for me what things are going to look like based on the progress that we've already made, it's kind of, it really captures my imagination. Um, and that's a feeling that I really like. <laughs> when things capture my imagination, I become excited uh, I become a child again, and it's sort of a, a I, I reconnect with the part of myself that 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 sort of um, is open to what might be, and I think that's a beautiful thing. And 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 to tap into that feeling uh, based on scientific extrapolations rather than you know faith based musings, I think is kind of cool. It's sort of I give myself permission to be a child again because I know <laughs> that a lot of these things are based on scientific facts. So I'm a child without necessarily being superstitious or or faith based. It's rather like, oh man, this is the kind of science that allows me to be a child again. This is cool. And and I also I like Kurzweil's ideas about seeing technology as an extension of, of human beings. Uh, technology is an extension of human reach. I think it's very poetic and it's very beautiful and it's a nice antidote to this idea of technology as this like unnatural thing that we're doing. But no, I disagree. I think the technology extends who we are. It's, a, it's, it's, it's natural. Technology is a natural extension of human flourishing. And um, that's beautiful. That's exciting. That's wonderful. That's, that's poetry right there. That's, that's, the, that's the species that left the caves and went to the, to the, to the moon, you know? That's very beautiful indeed, but let me backtrack just a little bit and ask you, how did you hear or how did you get exposed to the concept of the singularity for the first time? Um, well, I think like all people, we're all trying to sort of make sense of the world that we live in. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, we, 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 we're concerned with I, I, Kurzweil calls it the destiny of the human machine civilization, um, and I'm not going to say that I believe in in, in 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 fate or anything like that. I think that we have free will, but there is this kind of inevitable move towards greater complexity and organization taking place 
It started with natural selection and the playing out of single-celled organisms becoming multi-celled organisms and whatnot, and you have this spontaneous self-organization that takes place, and, and it has evolved. And then, you know, with with the invention of language, that might have been, I guess, the first singularity uh, for humans 50,000 years ago. It changed the operating system of the brain. I think uh, Kevin Kelly talks about that and what technology wants. I find that fascinating. So then, you know, we had language and, and we had a, a trick for the mind to talk to itself so that it could invent with purpose and deliberation and become a fountain of new ideas for the first time. Before that, we had a feral mind, which was like smartness without a tool. So we had language, we slingshot it, it took over the planet in 1500 generations. And I think there have been many singularities uh, since then, the agricultural revolution, I think the industrial revolution, I think that the rise of uh, personal computing really that kind of started in the 1960s, it's explored in the, the book, um, What the Dormouse Said. It talks about the relationship between engineers and psychedelic drugs and the consciousness movement that <laughs> met the Silicon Valley movement. They saw computers as tools of personal liberations and extensions of the human nervous system. Timothy Leary came back in the 80s uh, and he said uh, computers are the LSD of the of the 90s and uh, he, saw, he saw computers as a way to augment human potential and augment human intellect. And I love that relationship between creativity, mind expansion, the consciousness movement, and the idea of technology as an extension of human consciousness. Um, and, the, and the cyber world as, as, as a place where we're all imagineers. And so now that the cyber world, aka the virtual world, is being overlaid over the real world, augmented reality, it's that first transition of, of blurring the distinction between the two. So the world of the cyber, the world of the virtual, the world of our imagination, is now bleeding and bursting through the screen out into the real world. Um, and I think that's kind of a beautiful idea. In, indeed, very, very beautiful. And, and a little bit too complex, maybe. So let's just try and define what we mean by singularity, because it seems that there is a huge disagreement among experts in the field as to what is exactly is the meaning or the definition of the singularity as a concept. So what is your definition, Jason? Um, well, I think that a, a pretty good definition is, called, is a singularity as a metaphor. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a word used to describe what happens when you go through a black hole, supposedly all the classical laws of physics and all the rules that we play by uh, no longer apply. And I think that, that that's a metaphor to say that a singularity is a point where these exponent, the exponential speed at which these technological breakthroughs are occurring um, already run counterintuitive to our linear-based brain that evolved in the African savanna and is meant to calculate how far away that line is from eating us. It's already counterintuitive <laughs> for us to, to conceive of what exponential growth implies. You know, Kurzweil uses the famous 30 steps example. You take 30 linear yeah. steps, you get 30. You take 30 exponential steps, you get to a billion. It's a billion-fold increase. That's like hard to wrap our heads around, but we can still do it if it's explained to us in a really clear way. And like, oh, wow, that's amazing. But what we don't understand is there comes a point where these exponential growth um, sort of hits that, that, that point that's absolutely so fast that what will happen is that these breakthroughs will be happening faster than even real time. So it's, it's sort of like from like breath to breath, we'll have, that's what Kurzweil talks about. It'll be like, like we'll blink and like the world will be different than, than the second before we blink. Like that speed of change will be so fast. And so what he proposes is that at that point, it's almost like our brain doesn't have enough RAM to keep up with what's going to be happening. So unless we truly try to interface more symbiotically with our technology, we're going to get left behind. But in a way, I mean, it's already happening. I could never memorize all the phone numbers and emails that I have stored in my life. <laughs> I could never yeah. memorize. 
So that means yeah. that in a way my life couldn't function the way that it does. I couldn't operate with the level of efficiency and productivity um, that I do without this piece of technology that extends the capabilities of the human mind. We already, when 1.5 billion minds share the interconnected uh, space of the internet and do all their mind work in this shared interconnected space. And it doesn't mean that we're going to lose our individuality, not by any means. I mean, do you lose your individuality by having a Facebook profile? No, but your Facebook profile is within the network of 500 million people. So we are individuals and yet we are part of a collective and sort of this interesting symbiosis where we are each individuals but we are all part of one giant super organism and and I think this symbiotic relationship with our tools just like you know we use calculators and we use blackberries to store more information it's just going to be more and more seamless like it'll be almost like we'll start to think faster because we'll have computers the size of blood cells in our brains that are interfacing with the internet. So our ideas will be merging with, with, with information that we find on Google and it'll all be happening in real time in our own minds. I mean, just try to conceive of these wonderful sort of, uh, symbiotic ways in which uh, technology and us is going to, is going to be this wonderful little dance. I mean, it's already a dance, but it's just going to be vibrating at faster speeds, you could say. So that's the singularity, the point where it becomes more difficult to describe, um, so it's it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor, but it's you know it's a it's definitely a, an optimistic look at this like radical progress that we're making. So, so you know, Robert Edinger's book, Man into Superman, or Nietzsche, who says Nietzsche. man walks a tightrope between ape and overman. You know yeah. the tightrope, of course, being this technological quasi adolescence where we want to make sure we don't like go into nuclear war and destroy ourselves before we make it to the other side and go through a sort of digital apotheosis and become gods which is in a beautiful again metaphorical way what I want to explore in the film turning into gods because I do think that that, that, that using that word, which is inspired by Stuart Brand's idea that we are as gods and might as well get good at it, or uh, Freeman Dyson when talking about the future, he says in the future, and I've said this a million times, a new generation of artists will be writing genomes with the fluency that Blake and Byron wrote verses. So consider that. Every new piece of technology uh, allows the human mind to flourish in a new way. Um, you know, Beethoven and Mozart might have been just geniuses with Asperger's who had an inability to communicate effectively, but because of the technologies of music, the technologies of piano, et cetera, et cetera, they were able to uh, flourish. You know, so I, I just think that the singularity gives human beings a multitude and infinite number of new ways uh, to flourish, an um, infinite new number of ways for human creativity to unfold. And I think it's a beautiful thing. You know, without the piano, which is a piece of technology, we wouldn't have all this music. Without musical notes, I mean, musical language, a piece of technology, we wouldn't have that. Without linguistics, we wouldn't have poetry and communication. So I just think that the singularity is where the human mind is 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 no longer uh, limited even to biological uh, limitations. So I just, I just I just can't even begin to conceive of the new ways in which in which ideas will have sex with one another and human creativity will just that's where it becomes like almost indescribable. What new, what new forms of artistry will allow human beings to, to commune with one another in sort of this sublime, wonderful, orgiastic unfolding of knowledge and creativity? I just, that just gets me excited. I mean, I see, I see it as the ultimate poetic unfolding. To me, it's pure poetry, the singularity. But at the same time, it's, it's scientific extrapolation. So it's not superstition. It's not, oh, we're going to commune with God in a religious sense. No, this is science. This is the point where science and art, you know, uh, commune in, in this kind of, again, I use the word orgiastic, artistic, ecstatic 
sublime way. But that's just that's how I interpret it. You know, I, that's my role as an artist is to make how how it makes sense to me. So how is it, and and why did you decide to make a movie about that in particular? How did you come about the idea of making a movie? Um, I think that these ideas sometimes uh, are not presented in ways that are emotionally compelling and visceral to audiences. I think that people need to be engaged emotionally. Uh, I think the human beings, the, the masses, you know, people people will not become engaged in this. Some, I mean, occasionally you'll present a bunch of facts to people that are really compelling, but they won't be fully, fully engaged unless you hit them viscerally and emotionally. It's it's the reason that, like, a really good movie has to have a really good soundtrack because the music goes straight to the emotional <laughs> core. Um, presentation, package design, I think, uh, you know, I think my favorite conference in the world, for example, is the TED conference. And I think the TED conference yeah. is a triumph in package design. You know, you could find information on all those speakers. You can find books on stuff that they've written. All the information that TED presents is available online in different ways. But it's the way TED brings it all together and packages it all together that makes it triumphant. And I sort of, uh, I think that, that that art direction, package design, presentation is key. And I think because these ideas are sort of, to me, the most compelling ideas that I've ever come across. I want people to have a reaction similar to mine and how better, how, what's the best way for me to share my reaction to this? Well, to regurgitate my feelings and, my, and, and document my interaction and conversations with these luminaries and, and, and technologists and have this philosophical discussion with them and then present it again, edited in a way that is compelling and engaging. My job is to be the barometer of wow, and to just sort of present <laughs> present the wow, the wow factor. You know, present these ideas with that wow edge. So uh, the ultimate goal of your movie would be to get people to understand or connect with the concept of the singularity at a much more fundamental, much deeper level, more emotional rather than logical more artistic rather than scientific, if well, I may so? Yes. I wouldn't say rather. I would say, you know, uh, or together, emotion, both. emotional with the logical. So it's kind of mm -hmm. like, because I, I would never want to, again, my, my the reason the singularity, these ideas of extrapolations of exponential growth are appealing to me is because I never want to let my emotions run away with an idea that is not based on some sound scientific fact. It's the reason that I don't, that I'm not, con, you know, I'm not religious. But I still crave the notion of the transcendent. I think any human being does. You know, if you've been in love, if you've been inspired, if you've stared at a magnificent vista, um, there's something transcendent about that. You know, when one of the astronauts, I think it was Buzz Aldrin, was in the moon and he said, a magnificent desolation. That's a transcendent statement about the feeling that he had. You know, he wasn't saying, you know, oh, I'm speaking to God, but he was speaking in metaphor. He was saying magnificent desolation. And I, and I think that the singularity and, 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 and I think that the, the evolutions move towards greater complexity and organization and, and the universe exhibiting spontaneous self-organization. And these things are, these are transcendent qualities. These are when the result of something is greater than the sum of its parts. These are, I'm interested in the transcendence, but I'm interested in the transcendent through the eyes of observable of science. And so, you know, I think that we need that kind of Carl Sagan-esque aesthetic brought back. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, 
it's it's you know I'm honoring I'm honoring the, the way that people like Carl Sagan interpreted the vastness and the magnificence of of the cosmos and sort of applying that vision to to science and exponential growth and this move towards greater complexity and organization. So, so think think the Carl Sagan vibe. So how would you know that you have succeeded in your goal? What do you have any benchmarks? How would you say, okay, I've accomplished what I set out to do with the movie? Um, Wow. Well, you know, true success would be that this documentary that I get to finish it and that it, you know, that I get to, you know, the, 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 I mean, look, I'm still in the process of producing it, but you know, already the concept trailer has gotten tremendous buzz, you know, yeah, I, I, it's fantastic. I got the, the concept trailer was mostly to establish the mood. I wanted to show, you know, I only showed two, Ray Kurzweil and Aubrey de Grey in it, but mm -hmm. really it was about capturing a feeling, capturing a, the momentum, you know, like people talk about exponential growth and they show it like, whoosh, like it's this graph, it starts in a bunch of baby steps and it kind of takes off. So I wanted to capture an anthem, you know, I create a feeling that showed the, the, the momentum of, of the singularity and how I see it as this, this unfolding of creativity and art and technology and the extension of human reach ad infinitum, ad infinitum, um, to, towards, for, towards, towards, you know, this, this, anyway, I get carried away, but, um, the success would be for the finished product to, you know, obviously get some kind of mainstream buzz and go to film festivals and get people even outside the immediate uh, enthusiasts, you know, the, even beyond those that are immediately excited about the singularity, maybe those that have never even heard the word singularity to be talking about it. That would be success, right? To go beyond the, those exclusive groups that are already talking about this stuff and reach a little bit of the mainstream. I mean, that would be success. Absolutely. So I mean, just the fact that you saw the trailer, I mean, that's already exciting, you know? It is. You have a wide, a wide audience that is interested in, in these ideas. So, I mean, I know it's very hard to gauge, you know, the future progression of your work probably, but how, how can you tell our listeners and our viewers roughly some timeline that you think they may be able to actually see the full movie or how far are you from completion? How far are you from like setting up the distribution, etc.? I know, for example, yeah. I, I had an interview with Barry Ptolemy, um, who recently... Oh, he's my good friend. Yeah, he... Who, he's a good friend. He's a, he's a fantastic guy, another filmmaker like you. Um, and uh, he's been struggling with the distribution end of things for quite some time. And, and I mean, for people like me who are located in Canada, I know that Transcend Men has been shown in a bunch of film festivals across the United States, in New York, etc. But I'm dying to watch right. it here, and I can't. I, I don't have the chance. So I'm dying for the moment that the movie would go global, you know, and hit the, the big screens or the DVDs, etc., so yeah, well, I think I think you should hear something really soon. I've heard some rumors that they're very close to to you being able to see it. Um, I, you know, I think that uh, I could finish the movie probably in a very few months. It's just that I haven't carved out the time to complete it because I'm also uh, involved in two pending TV projects. Mm -hmm. um, one of yes. one of them is actually science focused, so it'll be a great pl a great platform to talk about some of the ideas that I'll explore in the movie to get mm -hmm. people excited and a mainstream outlet. Um, I'm not ready to formally announce what that is because we're still waiting for it to fully um, get figured out. But you know, uh, maybe give me give me 12 months, hopefully. That would be amazing. That'd be very right. fast. In the meantime, 
we'll keep the conversation happening. I, I write a lot for the Huffington Post, and I write a lot for this website called Motherboard. It's about science and technology culture, and I, I plan to continue building up a conversation towards the film as I as I go along. I think it's a new way of doing this. It's kind of having the audience be part of the conversation by running a series of, of articles and, and profiles and getting the word out even in anticipation of the film. I see. Well, I wish you good luck with that. Um, Thank you. Let me ask you a little, another question that falls within the religious realm. Um, sure. Turning into gods, some yeah. critics may say sounds very blasphemous. Um, oh, you mean the, like people who are really religious would take offense? Absolutely. Uh -huh. So let me ask you this. Do you have any religious affiliations yourself, past or present? And do you think or what do you think would be the religious take, uh, potential criticism or embracing of your work once it's completed? How mm -hmm. do you foresee that interplay between those very powerful ideas such as turning into gods, accomplishing immortality which is traditionally the realm of religious, uh, you know, the world religions, be it Christianity, yeah. Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, you name it. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I mean, I'm Jewish by, by blood, you know. I grew up in Venezuela, very liberal, not very religious household, so, you know, a little bit of Jewish culture but not not that much religion in my home um critical thinking and finding your own answers was a key push in my house <laughs> and uh you know i think i respect people's uh freedom to believe whatever they want however i don't think that we should ever let our religious dogmas Uh, get in the way of progress, and particularly scientific progress. So when I see religious groups uh, try to deter stem cell research, mm -hmm. I get really offended. Um, and I think there's way too many examples in history of uh, religion trying to chokehold certain progress. You know, Galileo, all these people, you know. Uh, Copernicus, etc. Yeah, and so I just... You know, I think that religion served a purpose. It was itself a technology, a way to organize people around a common theme and offer people a guide for a living. But, you know, in terms of, you know, I see it, I, I ascribe to Joseph Campbell's um, view of, of these stories as, as mythological metaphors um, that are meant to give us lessons for how to live, not really meant to be taken literally. So does that mean you're an atheist? Um, pretty much. I mean, I, I, I like, I'm going to give you a little tease from Transcendent Man. There's a line when they ask Kurzweil, does God exist? He says, well, not yet. <laughs> uh, I think that, uh, that, uh, it's, or Kurzweil has also said it, uh, you know, when we're nanoengineering reality and using biotechnology to reprogram the information processes of our biology away from disease and aging, it'll be intelligent design at last. <laughs> and, uh, okay, also, but those are all... So think that, you know, I, Joseph Campbell says, God is that which exceeds our intellectual capacities. 
So it's a metaphor for the everything that we don't understand yet. But I think that we were gonna we're gonna continue to augment our intellectual capacities infinitely. And so, to me, whatever that metaphor represents can totally be reverse engineered and understood eventually. So I think nothing will be beyond our intellectual capacity. Or or how about you know less and less and less will be beyond our intellectual capacity. But all of those are at the very least very provocative ideas, especially if you come from a religious background, and. And uh, do you not expect a certain kind of a backlash towards your ideas and your movie from, say, the Christian right or the, the Orthodox Jewish community or, you know, the Muslim community? The, I mean, the extreme Muslim community, I should say, not the Muslim community. Uh, any extreme I, I, sort yeah. of Orthodox religious hardcore by the book uh, religion? Um. Perhaps, but I think that the free dissemination of ideas should trump their objections um, if they believe in freedom and if they believe that we all have the right to interpret ideas in the way that we choose. You know, I'm not telling them what they need to think. I'm just I'm interpreting ideas that capture my imagination. So I'm spreading excitement. That's what I'm spreading. I'm spreading optimism. I'm tired of doom and gloom. Um, there's a wonderful line that I would love to share with you. I'm just going to open this. I don't know if you're familiar with the Imaginary Foundation. They make the most beautiful cosmic designs for their t-shirt line that you've ever seen in your life. And uh, they say that we live in a society in which spurious realities are constructed by the media, by governments, and by big corporations, and by religious groups. We are bombarded with pseudo-realities fabricated by very sophisticated people using very sophisticated mechanisms. Perhaps for many, for, perhaps for many designers, irony is the only possible response to a media space where it's impossible to distinguish reality from manipulation. Yet the imaginary foundation is future-focused and always has been. So we're exploring what comes after we push through the darkness. We're already reveling in the beauty on the other side of the looking glass. And believe me, it's wonderful. Living creatively and joyfully requires dismissing gloom, defeatism, and negativism. We acknowledge problems, but we do not allow them to dominate our thinking and our direction. So we prefer to be for rather than against to create solutions rather than to protest against what exists. There are things worth believing in. There are things worth being passionate about. And so our action must not be a reaction, but a creation. For ideas catch the dewdrops and reflect the cosmos. So let those ideas be noble, let them be poetic, and let them be beautiful. <laughs> beautiful indeed, again, and, and poetic, and yep. very powerful. Um, yes. Let me ask you this then, how have your ideas of the singularity or immortality evolved since the beginning of the moment that you decided and started the project of making the movie or have they evolved at all? Oh, um, Was there, for look, example, one thing that you got very surprised uh, that you discovered in that process, like the most surprising thing that you totally did not expect or foresee? No, you know, I, I think that even before I started the project, I, I think that there's nothing beautiful about death 
you know, ashes to ashes, <laughs> dust to dust, seems like the most absurd, depressing <laughs> idea ever. I, I mean, to me, I'll tell you what's beautiful. What's beautiful is that from very simple, you know, single-celled organisms came this sublime, you know, thing, manifold of the wonders, for nothing is more wondrous than man, as Sophocles said. Um, I think man standing tall and reciting poetry and, you know, Shakespeare and Einstein and music and goosebumps and poetry and love. I, I think these are, these are transcendent qualities, you know, meant for gods, not for creatures that, that die. You know, Ernest Becker said we are gods with anuses and that's the inherent problem of the human condition that we are with our minds we can ponder the infinite yet we're housed in these heart pumping breath gasping decaying bodies we are godly yet creaturely so i think the purpose of humanity is to transcend death i think that the purpose of our engineering prowess is to subvert entropy and overcome entropy Alan Harrington says, uh, we must never forget we are cosmic revolutionaries, not stooges conscripted to advance a natural order that kills everybody. So I think ultimately you ask me, what's the point of the human machine civilization? Well, to trump death, to, 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 to let the, the, the qualities of poetry and love and intellect roam free, unbounded by biological limitations. That's the goal of humanity. And that continues to be my belief. Well, that, that sounds amazing, but one of the most co common criticisms to that approach is that, and which is a criticism quite often leveled against Ray Kurzweil himself, is that that's a very even overly optimistic, uh, you know, approach. In other words, it under, undermines or even completely ignores the pitfalls, the dangers on the way to immortality. So, for example... Uh, We've all seen the, the Terminator. We've all seen the Matrix. That's one potential pitfall of, say, the machines, the artificial intelligence rebelling or taking over and us going the way of the dinosaurs. That's only one of the potential scenarios. Another one is um, a great polarization within humanity itself between technophobes and technophils between what you would call uh, neo-Luddites who are against genetic engineering, against artificial intelligence, against the advance yeah. and exponential growth of technology, and transhumanists or post-humanists who embrace those ideas. And uh, Well, I mean, it's, it's just I think human beings have free will, and so those that, that are against these ideas will just, I guess... They won't, they won't be part of this evolution, but those that augment themselves with technology will become millions, trillions, you know, of times more intelligence. I mean, already uh, a person with a cell phone in Africa today has more communication access than the president of the United States did 10 years ago. So I think more and more people are becoming empowered. Those that choose to not become empowered, I think, are, are fools, you know. But you know what? Matt, Margaret Mead said... Uh, what is they they say so some of us margaret what was her quote um oh yes those that are against this the meek shall inherit the earth but the rest of us shall go to the stars so look i think this process is 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 an inevitable continuation of technology you know kevin kelly calls technology the seventh kingdom of life the technium i mean it's us it's evolution accelerated so 
I mean, to say that you are against this is like saying that you're against evolution. No, but um, I don't mean only about saying. I mean about people who take action. I mean, the Unabomber was just a terrorist who was blowing up, you know, uh, people and was sending them bombs and etc. But uh, imagine a world in which, for example, Hugo de Garis calls the Artilect War, and he calls those new Luddites uh, the Terrans. Uh, and those people may disagree with us, but they may not limit themselves only to vocal opposition. They may actually take action, just like the Unabomber did, only they can uh, not take small-sized bombs, but they can employ nuclear weapons, biological weapons, you name it. Um, so there is that... Look, I mean, I think those things... That idea that those yeah, things can lead to a global war, that friction, Richard Clark, uh, the former anti-terrorist uh, of the U.S., wrote a book called Breakpoint, in which, uh, which was, you know, science fiction sort of novel set in 2012, but his whole idea was... Um, a U.S. divided by people who oppose the radical advance of technology and people who embrace it. And it was quite interesting that the person in charge of that wrote a science fiction book or a novel on that topic, a very powerful one, I thought, too. So there's a, there's a lot of people who are willing to go beyond vocal opposition and take concrete armed and violent action against people like you, maybe people like me, anyone who embraces any transhumanist or post-humanist ideology? I don't know. I just, I think that these technologies only extend, I don't know. I mean, when, when everybody, when re, everybody's reality is this beautiful canvas that they can engineer at will, I mean, why would people be against this, you know, why would people be against the extension of human ability? Why would people be against the extension of human imagination? Why would people be against better tools to create better art that we can one share? Answer, ways? One answer to that question, for example, is saying what was said when antibiotics were introduced at the first time, right? If God wanted us to live forever, he would have made us so, for example, right? Obviously, well, he didn't want us to be immortal. Therefore, it is a blasphemy to go against him. I'm not embracing that argument. I'm just. Well, I, I know you're not, but I almost think I almost think to 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 even acknowledge somebody who would be against antibiotics lowers our discussion. You know, like, <laughs> really, like well, life expectancy used to be what 34 or something. If you if you really believe that we shouldn't tinker with nature, then then we'd all be dying at 34. Like. Yeah. I, um, it was 48 I I when just, Social Security was introduced in the U.S. Yeah. Again, there. Are, what is it? We prefer to be for rather than against, to create solutions rather than <laughs> to protest against what exists. We want to dismiss gloom, defeatism, and negativism. We do not allow problems to dominate our thinking and our direction. That's, That's what the Imaginary Foundation says. I think they said it well. And I said, ideas catch the dewdrops and f reflect the cosmos. So let those ideas be noble, let them be poetic, and let them be beautiful. I just think sometimes other people, you know, other people's words are the best to use in those situations. But um, anyway, I absolutely agree. I love quotes myself, and and I've <laughs> actually I I'm familiar with many of those. So I I, I love that you're bringing them up. Oh, um, awesome. But if there's one thing that you want our listeners and viewers to take away today from this podcast with you, what would that be? 
the major message in probably a couple of sentences? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that, that, that those of us that understand the implications of exponential growth, of accelerating exponential growth in technology, and I think that a lot of people do. I think the fact that you're seeing Singularity University over in Silicon Valley, backed by Google, yeah. at the NASA campus, smarter, more influential people are coming into it all the time. These ideas are becoming more mainstream all the time. Yeah. Um, I think it's our responsibility to to, to communicate uh, these ideas to people because you know one of the things they do at Singularity University is that everybody that comes there has to come out of it with an idea that can help a billion people. But in order to come up with the best ideas and think of the best goods and services and come up with uh, better ideas for companies and products is to it is to incorporate the implications of exponential growth into our thinking, so that we can, like Kurzweil says, we can invent things with the technologies of the future. <laughs> You know, we can we can think about things that we want to do tomorrow with technologies that maybe not be that, that are not here yet, but that will be here tomorrow. So it's it's kind of like trying to trying to put this I, this, the, to look at the world through the eyes of understanding exponential growth, so that we can make sense of of what's happening on a daily basis. I think that's a very important message. And the other one is be excited, be excited. Human flourishing and human poetry are. Are deeply embedded with uh, with with what science is allowing more of us to do. You know, I think it's it's just cool. That was a that was a very pleasant, very optimistic, very passionate, very upbeat kind of an interaction. I enjoyed it enormously today, Jason. Oh, so, so did I. Well, thank you so much, and do let me know when this is up. I will definitely let you know when this is up, and uh, all the best. Good luck with your movie. Thanks again for your time. Oh, thank you. We'll stay in touch.